0: Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw a, a, a title, a name, something out there, and I want you to just think in your mind, what is the first thing that comes to mind when I throw this this name or this title or this group of people out there, uh, don't shout it out loud. Uh, If you've got sinful responses, you need to keep that in the darkness of your own mind and not share it with the rest of us. So, with that being said, if I were to say a, a Bernie Sanders supporter, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? What mental picture comes into your mind? I could go the other way and say a Donald Trump supporter. What comes to your mind, you say? A look in the mirror, brother. What comes to mind when, when I say that? What if I said a vegan? That's, that's one of them people that only eats vegetables. Uh, what, what, what about a vegan? If I said a millennial, what do you think? If I said a boomer, what do you think? What pictures come to your mind with, with, these, uh, with these titles? Odds are you have a certain mental association with each and every single one of those, uh, those groups that I've identified. Now, what comes to mind when you hear the word Christian? What picture comes into your mind? Odds are you associate that word with certain characteristics as well. And depending on the church where I ask the question, I might even get different answers. If you were to go down to the Walnut Street Bridge or Coolidge Park and and just stop folks and ask them the question, are you a Christian? Well, You might get a lot of different answers. Some people say, well, yes, I am. Some are going to say, well, what what do you mean? Some are going to say, well, yeah, but. Some people will say, well, no, but. Some will say, well, yes, but I'm not like so-and-so, whoever that may be. A majority of you here today would say that at some point in time in your life, you became a a Christian. There was a point in your life where you remember praying a prayer or walking an aisle. Maybe you, you associate it with your baptism. If you come from a different tradition, maybe you remember going to a confirmation class where at the end of the class, you you passed. I've never been to a confirmation class, so I don't know what happens at the end. Some of you might even say that you've always been a Christian. Some might even say that they were born that way. Consider this, though. The very first followers of Jesus, they did not call themselves Christians matter of fact the title Christian was a was a derogatory term that was used by people outside of the faith if you were called a Christian that was intended to be a an insult almost akin to a racial slur if it were used today in Acts chapter 11 verse 26 we see that the very first Christians though were known as disciples you'll look through the New Testament you'll find that the word Christian is is only used three times. However, the word for disciple is used over 280 times. Disciple, you see, is a, is a far more accurate and compelling description of what it means to follow Jesus. And, and as we will see, this idea of being a disciple, it exposes a, an alarming fact. And the fact is this. There are many who claim to be Christians, who are not actually disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've got your Bible today, I would encourage you to open to Matthew chapter 4. This morning our reading comes from verses 18 through 22. I would ask you to stand as we read God's Word together. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Father, I thank you for this precious word of God. I thank you for the call of Jesus' disciples. We pray that you would help each of us to be the disciples that we should be. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, this is one of these passages in the New Testament, that if we're honest, if we read it just honestly, it sort of leaves us scratching our heads. I've often read this and, and, and thought, you know, here, here are these fishermen. They're, this is an ordinary day. They're going about their, their daily tasks. When suddenly this guy shows up and he offers an invitation to them, he says, follow me. And these guys literally drop everything and they go and they follow this, this teacher that has approached them on this particular day. Now, I'm a bit of a Star Wars fan. And one of the coolest things that Jedi Masters can do is they can, do the, they can use the Force to influence the thoughts of those who are simple-minded. Early in A New Hope, the first Star Wars movie that came out, you see Obi-Wan Kenobi with, with Luke Skywalker. They're in the, 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 the vehicle there. And as they get to the town, the stormtroopers come out and they're trying to stop them. And you see Obi-Wan Kenobi changing their thoughts. They want identification. They want credentials. They want paper. And Obi-Wan Kenobi says, you don't need their identification. And the stormtrooper responds, we don't need to see your identification. Obi-Wan says. Uh, let them go about their business. And the stormtrooper says, you guys go about your business. And and he uses this Jedi mind trick to to convince these stormtroopers to to let them pass. It almost feels like this with Jesus here. Here's a couple of simple-minded fishermen, and Jesus comes up to them, and he says, come follow me. And they follow what exactly is happening here, though? It helps us when we, when we understand something of the culture at that time. It starts to make a lot more sense. In order to understand what's happening here, it's helpful to recognize how education worked even in their day. In and that, and that day, all Hebrew boys went to Torah school starting at age five. So kindergarten for Hebrew boys was to go and learn the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They got to go and experience that. And for five years, they they study that, and they learn that. By age 10, all the little Hebrew boys knew the Torah, but then the best students went on from there, and they went on to study the remainder of the Old Testament. If you didn't make that cut, guess what you had to do? You had to go back and work home in the family business. So only the best and brightest students continued on past the Torah. The rest went home to learn the trade. At about age 17, if you wanted to go on and make a career out of religious studies, your next step was to go and find a rabbi that you admired, and you would apply to become one of his disciples. And the way you did that, you would go and you would sit down at his feet. This was your way of requesting to learn what he had to teach. And the rabbi would then examine you to determine whether or not you were fit to to follow him. He would ask questions and exams and, and would put you through a series of tests to see if you were worthy to be his disciple. Now, the rabbis had the luxury of choosing the smartest, the most talented boys to be their disciples. They, because being a religious expert, was the, that was the, the, the top job. Uh, being a religious expert. P- little boys didn't long to be sports stars because there wasn't a whole lot of sports that were being played in that day. They didn't, they didn't strive to be, you know, politicians or things like that. They wanted to be religious leaders. That was the best job you could have. And so if you got chosen by a leading rabbi to be one of his disciples, then that was the equivalent of getting an Ivy League, uh, a, a Ivy League University full academic scholarship. It's a big deal. Another reason the rabbis were so picky is that when they chose a disciple, they were choosing someone that they believed could become just like them. The goal of that rabbi was to have a bunch of little uh, rablets, you know, they're, they're <laughs> who were just like them, so that, so that when, they, when they graduated, he had reproduced himself into all his little, all his little disciples it said that the highest compliment that you could pay a disciple of a rabbi in those days was to say this to them. The dust of your rabbi is all over you. Meaning that you followed so closely that when he kicked dust up on his feet, that dust got on you. That that the dust of the rabbi is on you. That was the highest compliment that you could pay. And so for several years, these disciples would follow their rabbis, imitating them, learning to think like them, speak like them, because the goal of that disciple was to be just like the rabbi. That was the goal. And they listened and watched and paid attention. In Jesus' day, there was a really rare form of rabbi who possessed a characteristic that the Jewish people called shmikah. It's a fun word. And shmikah means authority. It means authority. And so there weren't many rabbis in Jesus' day who had that type of authority. These guys were masters of the Torah. But there was also this mystical air about them. Because they they had a spiritual authority where they could give interpretations of texts. Other rabbis didn't have that. They had the ability to say, you didn't understand this correctly, but I'm going to explain it to you. They might have used a phrase like this, you've heard it said this, But I tell you the truth. If that phrasing sounds familiar, it's because you've heard Jesus use that phrasing. You hear people in the gospel say about Jesus that he teaches with authority, unlike those other scribes. And so, if you were a rabbi with authority, you got to be super exclusive. However, that's not what we see from Jesus in our text this morning. That's not what we see from Jesus. Because based on what we've learned about the education and the career goals of these Hebrew boys, we learned something about the first disciples of Jesus. They're not the best or the brightest. They didn't make the cut out of Torah school. Why? Because they're back home at the family business. Because we understand this, Jesus doesn't choose the best Jesus chooses the willing. John MacArthur said this, God skipped all the wise of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers were in Athens. The power was in Rome. He passed over Herodotus, the historian. Socrates, the thinker. Julius Caesar, the emperor. He chose men so ordinary that it was comical. No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts. Think about that for a moment. Jesus could have chose anybody. Could have chose anybody. He's he's the son of God. He had access to, to the cream of the crop. Jesus could have got the number one draft pick and all the number one draft picks. That's not what he took. He chose this ragtag bunch of guys who were fishermen and tax collectors and rebels. They were a mess if there ever was a mess. But Jesus chose that mess to change the world. Because one of Jesus' most important teachings is that his power in the weakest of vessels was infinitely greater than the greatest talent in the world, apart from him. And when we see how Jesus went about building this quote-unquote dream team, we recognize that these guys he called are no different than us. And all of this points to the simple fact that God wants to use you. God wants to use you. He wants to use you in your family. He wants to use you in your workplace. He wants to use you in your school. Jesus is not worried about your ability. He is concerned about your availability. And on that day, on the side of the Sea of Galilee, Peter, the guy who would become the the bedrock of that church, that first preacher of the gospel, that day Peter hadn't led the first person to Christ He hadn't preached his first sermon. He hadn't done anything of consequence that we're aware of. And God chose him. And because God chose him, all that would soon begin to change. We understand this. Jesus chose us. We didn't choose him. Imagine for just a minute, you're sitting at a high school football game. You're sitting in the bleachers, and you notice out of the corner of your eye a black SUV comes rolling up, gets as close to the field as it can get. And during the game, you see the door to that black SUV open, and you look, and there's a guy who's wearing a houndstooth blazer and a crimson colored tie. And you nudge the person you're with, and you say, is that Nick Saban? And you look, you're squinting trying to figure it out, and he's walking towards the home side, uh, side of, the, of, the, of the field there. And you say, it is Nick Saban. Imagine Nick Saban rolls up to the high school football game. He gets out. He walks there. It's probably illegal for him to do this if he's recruiting. But imagine for just a second, Nick Saban. You may not like him, but you can't argue the fact that he's one of the greatest football coaches that's ever walked the sidelines on any school anywhere. Imagine him coming up and putting his arm around the starting quarterback for your football team. How do you think that quarterback would react? I guarantee you that if Nick Saban puts his arm around you, you go out on your next offensive series and you play football like you ain't never played football before. Why? Because you have the confidence of knowing that someone has endorsed you. Someone has chose you. Someone has put his seal of approval on you. And when a rabbi chose his disciples, that's a high honor because the rabbi was placing his endorsement on those individuals. When we look at Jesus in our text today, we understand Jesus initiates contact with these guys. He he called out to them. Now, they had to choose to follow him. They, they They had to respond to his invitation. But Jesus reaches out to them. He calls them. He chooses them. It's not because their resume was great. Remember, they didn't make the cut in Sunday school. They didn't get past the first five books of the Bible because they're back at the, at the family farm doing the work there. He chose them after they had already resigned themselves to be fishermen, whatever other careers were represented by those disciples, yet he reminds them of this in John fifteen sixteen. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Listen to me. If you're struggling right now in your career, with your children, in your marriage, you need to take confidence in this fact that Jesus chose you And because He chose you, He desires that you will bear lasting fruit. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God has every expectation and every desire to work in and through each and every single one of you who call on Him as Savior and Lord. He wants to work in you in your marriage, work in you in your home. He wants to work in you in your career. He wants to work in you in your classroom. He wants to work in you in every place that your foot touches. That's what his expectations are. You are his chosen vessel in your heart. Say that. I am his chosen vessel. I am his chosen vessel. And you may feel like you are facing insurmountable odds, but you need to remember that God's announced plan for you. This is not hidden. This is not a secret. This is something He has declared. His plan for you is that He has every intention of using you to fulfill His plan and purposes. So if you feel like for a second that you're not fit, you need to understand that He has every plan to use you in wherever place your life takes you. So if you're struggling with parenting right now, know this, God chose you to be a godly parent to your children. If you're struggling in your marriage right now, know this, God chose you to be a godly spouse. And if your witness at work or school is anemic and you're not sure how to fix it, the first thing you have to acknowledge is this, that God chose you to be the witness at your workplace or at your school, and He has every intention that you will bear fruit in that place, and every intention that He will finish His work in you. Thirdly, I always need to remember our primary calling. I I love what Jesus does here. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. He does the same thing with John and James, he calls them. Notice he didn't tell them where they were going or what assignment he had for them. He didn't give them a job description. You guys think through this. You guys weigh, the, weigh it out, determine what it's going to cost, determine if it's worthwhile. He didn't give them a, a map, a road map, that says, hey, this is the journey you're going to be on for the rest of your life. He said, come with me. Come with me. Our primary calling is to be with him. Don't miss this absolutely critical point about both this text and our Christian life. His primary call to us is not to do something. It is to become like him. We get this priority all kinds of messed up in church. Because we are action driven. And you see that in church. When we have church, what do we have? We have tasks, we have committees, and we have jobs to do, we have programs to administer. We have all of these action driven things that we have to do, we have to do, we have to do. But understand this when he calls these disciples, he doesn't give them tasks, he calls them to become like him y'all remember the old offering envelopes had all the check boxes on they probably still do had all those check boxes and those check boxes always had a list of tasks right I brought my Bible brought my offering I attended Sunday school I attended worship you know I did all these things and man if you could take that envelope and you could check all the boxes You walk out of church that morning and you were high on the horse, right? You did everything right. You accomplished all the tasks. Surely God must love you more now because you did everything on the envelope. Listen to me. If we are so action-focused and filling all the boxes... We've missed our primary objective, and we've messed up the order. Did Jesus have a plan for Peter and Andrew, James and John? Sure. He didn't call them and say, well, we'll figure it out, boys. He knew Peter would be the the bedrock of the church. He knew James and John would be the sons of thunder. They were young and, and, and excited, and they wanted to call fire down from heaven on the sinners. He knew that. But that's not what he called them to this day. He said, Come follow me. Come follow me. Be my disciple. Church, the call's no different today. The call of Jesus for each and every single one of us is to be. Like Jesus. And to become like Jesus, guess what? you got to sit at His feet and you got to know what He says. To know Him, you have to know His Word. To know His Word, you have to dig into the Scriptures. If you're not spending time in the Scriptures, you're going to have a very difficult time knowing your rabbi. And if you don't know Him... Your Christian faith is going to be marked by how well you checked the boxes on the envelope. When you face your last day and take your last breath, don't you want to be known as more than somebody who was able to check all the boxes? Wouldn't you rather be known as somebody... It was just like Jesus. We've reduced so much of our faith into good or bad behavior. But Jesus didn't die so we could modify our behavior. He did so so we could become like him. And in that calling, he commands us to reproduce spiritually. Following Jesus means that you subject everything in your life to his lordship. You forsake all that he's forbidden, pursue all that he's prescribed. Just like he was a fisher of men, we are called to be fishers of men. This is an essential part of being a disciple. It's not something that only few of us do. It's something that each and every single one of us does. He commands us to reproduce. There's no such thing as a non-reproducing disciple. How do you prove you're a disciple? By bearing fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, you have no reason to question whether you, you have reason to question that you're a disciple at all. John 15, 8 says this, By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus tells his disciples how, how to bear fruit in the, in the Great Commission. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, of the Holy Spirit, doing what? Teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus didn't say go and make disciples by teaching them how to check all the boxes on an offering envelope. He said, go and make disciples by teaching them to observe all the things that I've taught you. That means to follow. That means to heed. That means to listen to. Which means that everything we do, everywhere we go, grows out of this call upon our life to make disciples. Jesus summarizes ministry in Luke 19 by simply saying this. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, and if we are his disciples, if we have his dust upon us, then it is our call to do the same. That's how we should be summarizing our lives. In his book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, Robert Coleman said this, when will the church learn this lesson? Preaching to the masses, although necessary, will never suffice in the work of preparing heart or preparing leaders for evangelism. Nor can occasional prayer meetings and training classes for Christian workers do this job. Individual women and men are God's method. God's plan for discipleship is not something, but someone. We can learn all the models, all the strategies. You can memorize the Roman road backward and forward. You can learn faith evangelism. You can learn all those things, and all those things are beneficial. We can have evangelistic revivals and crusades. We can have vacation Bible school and camp, and we can have a whole list of programs. But we cannot ignore the simple fact that God desires for disciples to make disciples. So, what exactly are we asking people to do? First of all, you need to get plugged into the church. There are so many people in our community who were ever so loosely affiliated with our church or any church. Our church has a membership of over, over a thousand. And out of that membership of over 1,000, less than 10% attend Sunday school on a regular basis. Let that settle in for a minute. Less than 10% of a church's membership attending a small group on any given Sunday or even in the, during the weeknight. That's a very telling number. We need to find a group and connect to it if you don't currently attend a Sunday school class, I'd love to sit down and talk with you and help you find a class to plug into and connect with so that you can grow in a community of believers. Johnny Hunt's one of my mentors in ministry. I love hearing Johnny preach. And Johnny pastor, one of the largest churches in the state of Georgia. Phenomenal preacher, but he'd always tell people that if you've only got an hour to give to church on any given week, you give it to your Sunday school class. And I'll tell you the same thing. If you've only got an hour to come here, you come here at 9.30, don't come here at 10.45. Because you're going to grow a lot more in that Sunday school class and you're going to grow in this worship service. I'd love for you to be in both, but if you're choosing, choose that small group where you can grow. For so many people, that's that's what they forsake, but that's where we grow as Christians. Secondly, and this is what we're kicking off today, I'm asking you to identify your one. Who is your one? If God is going to use us to make disciples, then that starts with each and every single one of us identifying one person this year. Who's your one? I'm challenging you to have one person this year that with the help of God, you're going to introduce to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If every person in here did this successfully this year, we'd have to have two worship services today because there wouldn't be room for everybody. One person in your life that you work with, that you sit in class beside, that you live next to, that perhaps you share blood relations with. One person in your life that with God's help you could introduce to faith in Jesus. Now, we can't control the outcome. All we can do is sow seeds. We can't control whether people respond or not. So I'm not asking you to put all that on you, but I am saying, will you commit to God and say, God, will you show me one person this year? that I'm supposed to reproduce myself in spiritually. Coworker, neighbor, family member, classmate. Who is the one person? And I would ask you to go one step further. And in your Sunday school classes, share with your Sunday school class who your one person is. If you're a Sunday school teacher, challenge your class to think about who their one person is and talk about that one person. You don't have to name them. You don't have to say, Bob, my co-worker, that that comes here every once in a while. You have to do that, but who is your one? And share it in Sunday school. Talk about it in Sunday school. Pray for one another's one. Share with one another about conversations that you've had with your one. Who's your one? You're going further than just inviting them to church, although that's appropriate. You're looking for opportunities to go deeper than that. And when one of your ones shows up in class or at a fellowship event, you celebrate that one has, one has showed up. I'm going to tell you this. If you lead one, your one to Christ, you hop in the tub up here with us. We'll baptize them together. We'll celebrate it. We'll rejoice in that, in that good news. Find your one. Each and every single class should make it their goal this year to encourage one another to reach their ones. Plan events in your class where ones are invited. And don't act surprised when they show up. Isn't it something? We pray for God to do something. When God does something, we act surprised. We shouldn't be surprised when God answers our prayers. When God does that, which we've asked him to, and I can promise you this, that this is near and dear to the heart of God. This is one of these prayers that you're not praying for for you to find that winning lottery ticket in the parking lot or in the rack at the gas station. Some of y'all get that later. You're praying for someone that you know to come to faith in Jesus. That's near and dear to the heart of God. Finally, I need to ask you a very serious question. Are you a Christian Christian? Or are you a disciple? Have you committed to follow Jesus? Do you understand who it is that has called you? He has ultimate authority. He doesn't just give new insights. He spoke to the wind and the waves and they obeyed. He commanded demons and they fled. He spoke to diseases and they healed. He spoke to the dead in the grave and they walked out. By him all things exist. By his blood they were redeemed. For his glory they were created. According to his purpose all things are progressing. He has no rival. He has no equal. If Jesus is who he says he is, don't you think he deserves more than just haphazard church attendance? He deserves our total abandon. He deserves our complete in total adoration, when he looks at you and says, come follow me, the only response is to drop everything. Say, Let's go, Lord. Let's go. I don't care where it takes me. I don't care the obstacles we cross. I don't care what it challenges me to do. you're the son of God and I'll do anything you say. So some of you today, this is going to sound strange. You need to stop being Christians and start being disciples. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.